Stephen Palmer's Hairy London, Episode 6. Cornucope checked his appearance in the front hall mirror every morning before going out. And the hairy morning was no exception. Grey hair swept back from a high forehead, beak of a nose, strong chin. Today, he wore oilskin trousers, a Harris tweed jacket with a spring-loaded collar and a top hat. For boots, he wore his toughest gardening gladstones. Come along, dearest one, he shouted up the stairs. Eustacia descended, looking rather different. She wore a gabardine wraparound with gold attachments, loose harem pants, and a pair of ladies' gladstones. Her handbag was muted crocodile. Excellent, Cornucope said. And now let us discover the reason for all this hirsutitude. With no sign of La Courtier, she probably had been caught in the hair, they switched off all the candles, then locked the front door, leaving her a note. Gone out, let yourself in, use the Cass strudel for supper tonight. Cornucope forced away through his front garden to East Heath Road, where he looked up and down as far as he could see. It was blonde hair all the way. Floppy fringes grew from the eaves of adjacent houses, covering the windows, while from the lampposts of the street tufts of the finest yellow hair grew. As for Hampstead Heath, It's entirely hairy, he exclaimed as Eustacia approached. Pass me your monocular, she said. He handed it over, whereupon she looked east to the far horizon. It's hairy and empty of people, she said. Whatever can have caused this? I don't know, but London will be paralysed if it continues. How will people eat if nothing can be transported? I wonder if the underground is affected. A very good point, dearest one. Hopefully not. But shall we walk down the street to see if old Furbly is up and about? She agreed. So they began wading through the hair. It was rather like forcing a way through a mat of kelp at high tide. But Christopher Ferbley was one of his oldest friends, a scientist to boot, and like as not would have an explanation for the hirsute plague, so the effort was worth it. At number 16 they halted. Cornucope peered over the hedge to see Christopher sitting in a bald patch in his front garden. He looked dishevelled unshaven, his shiny pate liver-spotted, his grey baggy clothes soiled with mud. Of course, Christopher was the scientist for whom the word normal was least applicable. I say, Cornucope called out over the hedge. Weatherby, what is going on this morning? Christopher stood up and beckoned them into his garden. Pointing to the bald patch on his front lawn, he said, Do you know how I made that, hmm? Cornucope shook his head. Christopher took out a small wooden box from his jacket pocket. Radioactivity, he said. It's quite the newest thing. My old sparring partner, Rontgen, from the Camden Town Institute, discovered it. 
Not that creepy old gentleman who dines with Sir Thompson. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, him. But don't you see, Weatherby, if the tiniest speck of radioactivity, which here in this box I keep in the form of Madame Curio's concentrated uranium, is enough to make a bald patch on my lawn, imagine what a large quantity released over London would do. All the hair would fall out leaving our capital city clean and free once again. It's quite the best plan I've had for ages. Simply ages. Cornucope nodded, visualising the advantages. Once again, science has come to our aid, he said. And there are no negative effects of this radioactivity? Apart from making hair fall out, none whatsoever. Excellent. Then may I make a suggestion, Furbley? You should accompany us to the Camden Town Institute to prepare this plan. I have friends at the Blue Blitzen Zeppelin Corporation in Swiss Cottage. With my connections there and your connections in Camden... Capital! Let's go now! Cornucope glanced at Christopher's attire. You are ready now? Christopher grinned. Only clothes. More important things in life. Without delay, they headed along the hairy streets leading to Hampstead Underground Station, where they discovered chaos and confusion. Though most local residents remained indoors, a considerable number had realised that the underground might be hairless and consequently had headed in its direction. The medieval arched entrance was choked with men and women, all waving banknotes at overwhelmed ticket inspectors. There was nothing for it but to queue and await their turn. After half an hour, they purchased tickets and took the escalator down. The station platform was full to bursting. Gentlemen and ladies, children are running around with their dogs and goats, tradesmen, loafers and ne'er-do-wells. Cornucope was annoyed. Inconsiderate of all Hampstead to turn out, he muttered. Eustacia chided him. You yourself pointed out the transport difficulties, she said. Why are you more important than them? I have a plan to save London, he replied. Eustacia frowned. You have a plan, she said. It hasn't worked yet. Cornucope shrugged. His wife was ruthlessly practical, and he had learned to give her at least half an ear. True, he murmured in reply. Ten minutes later, a caniniflex appeared from the tube tunnel, careering to the platform, then halting. The engines, eight of them, linked into formation with wrought iron chains, were so noisy, Cornucope had to put his hands over his ears as he forced away into the nearest carriage. There was a hiss, a burst of yapping, then a crack and a single Find the crap before the door closed, forcing him into close proximity with three ladies, two Great Danes and a nanny goat. He was not pleased, nor was Eustacia. They got off at Camden Town, but at the surface faced the same problem as in Hampstead. 
the streets of Camden Town were choked with thick, curly brown hair that clung to the legs and impeded movement so much they had to rest every few minutes. Very few people were abroad. Camden was empty, almost silent. Christopher led the way to Kentish Town Road, on which Rontgen's physics establishment stood, and soon they were inside its cool, calm corridors. A small elderly woman approached them. Eustacia pressed her palms together and murmured, Namaste, before Christopher introduced them. This is Shacklin Soon, he said. Shacklin, my angel, this is none other than Cornucope Weatherby and Mrs. Cornucope Weatherby. Pleased to meet you, Shacklin said. She was thin and sallow of skin. Cornucope recognised her from the Empire Weekly science news pages. Um, we're here for a specific reason, hmm? Christopher continued. I have a plan to counter the hairy plague. I'll need lots of uranium. Well, this is the place for it, Shacklin replied. We own tons. How much do you need? For the moment, I don't know. Our plan is to concentrate it and shed it from the air all over London, causing the hair to fall out. Old Cornucope here reckons he can get the German Zeppelin chaps down the road to help. Shacklin frowned. I'm not sure the government... Oh, come on, my angel. That nasty affair with the Kaiser won't blow up into anything. A smirk appeared on his face. A blow up? Why, I am a wag. Wouldn't everybody have to be indoors at the time of this aerial drop? Shacklin asked. Naturally, Christopher replied, and they will be. What about those who don't have homes or who don't hear about the plan? Christopher appeared confused. You mean those moving house? The poor, the needy. I'll leave those to the Labour Party, Christopher said. Take us to the uranium dump, hmm? Camden Town Institute stored its uranium in a medieval courtyard. Two thousand Wedgwood bowls laid on walnut tables contained the radioactive prize, with the most concentrated in Grecian-style urns. And we keep the radium inside old wine bottles, Shacklin explained, pointing to a luminescent cupboard beneath the furthest table. Christopher rubbed his hands together. A hundredweight of the most concentrated uranium dropped all over London should do the trick, he said. Perhaps we'll add a dash of radium, too. Make the night sky light up for the kiddies? They'll love it, hmm? I'm sure they would, Cornucope replied. Are there any health problems with the radium? asked Eustacia. I've heard tales of Madame Curio. Well... We've all heard tales of Madame Curio, Shacklin laughed. But of course she was French, and we must expect such behaviour from the French. It would never happen in England, you know. Eustacia nodded, apparently satisfied with this answer. Then we shall leave you, Cornucope said, and make our way to Swiss Cottage. Farewell. Shacklin gave a cheery wave. Goodbye. 
Outside the building, Cornucope turned to Christopher and said, That went as well as could be expected. Christopher nodded. She's an angel, he said, and quite brilliant. Our very own Madame Curio, hmm? What are all those sores on her face and hands? Eustacia asked. Nothing a bit of makeup can't cure, Christopher replied. You've been listening to Stephen Palmer's Hairy London, narrated by R.D. Watson. 